0: the rock is brought to you by the score bet with easy to use navigation and a simple registration process placing a bet depositing and withdrawing your winnings has never been easier download now on ios and android available in colorado indiana iowa and new jersey must be 21 plus if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help contact 1-800-522-4700 in colorado 1-800-BETS-OFF in iowa 1-800-9-WITH-IT in indiana and 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey. Visit the score.bet for more details. Welcome to Pound the Rock, the Score's NBA podcast. My name is Joseph Cacharo, and I'm joined, as always, by co-host Joe Wolfond. What up, Cash? What up, man? The, the light at the end of the tunnel that is the holidays if you celebrate Christmas or you just celebrate the time off or get some time off, hopefully we're talking to you listening. Yes. You, hopefully you too see some light at the end of the tunnel in this dark, dark timeline right now.
1: Yes. I, I celebrate time off. That is my holiday <laughs> of choice. That's, that's what I'm looking forward to. Uh, but no, I mean, it's a, uh, it's a little bit bittersweet because I mean, I don't know how our listeners or anybody else is sort of going about the uh, their holiday plans are are sort of adjusting their behavior uh, in light of the surge that we're seeing. And I guess the, what is this? The fourth wave that we're in the fifth wave I've lost count. I
0: think it's four and a half,
1: but uh, yeah, I mean, like I had some plans with family that I was looking forward to that we basically had to cancel and that's pretty disappointing, but um, yeah, I mean, you know, my, my wife and I have just decided like we have, the infant at home and like we're being hyper vigilant right now so we're just sort of laying low until stuff calms down a little bit but i'm still yeah still very much looking forward to getting a little bit of a break and obviously you know uh merry christmas to all those who celebrate happy holidays to everybody uh, i mentioned last week i think i mentioned last week anyway that that we're only gonna be doing one episode this week uh on account of the holidays so uh, because we've been trying to keep them a little bit So short. enjoy this one. <laughs> yeah, we're tr- we've been trying to keep them a little shorter because we've been do- doing two a week. But I think we'll maybe allow ourselves to run a little bit longer on this one since uh, it's our only one.
0: Let's start in Dallas, Wolfon. I wrote about the Mavericks last week. Unfiltered episode last week was about the Mavericks. And the ways in which, not that they are failing Luca, but that them and Luca might be failing each other this season the way this season has quickly turned uh, into somewhat of a wasted season, even though there's obviously still two thirds of it to go. They are right now 14 and 15. They are ninth place in the Western Conference. They're 11 and 10 with Doncic in the lineup. They're four and 11 first winning teams. The numbers obviously don't inspire much confidence as presently constructed. They're flat out just not a contender. And I think the shame in that is that you have a player as generational and as transcendent as Luka Doncic is in year four in a Western conference that has been battered by star injuries and weakened. And I think had you kind of laid all those things out even a year ago, being like, okay, this is what next year is going to look like, Doncic in year four, another year for the Mavs to kind of figure out what he needs around him, what he doesn't need. I think a lot of people, Mavs fans certainly would have looked at that and said, okay, then there's an opening there. They're clearly not in the echelon of the Warriors, Suns, or Jazz. They're barely in the echelon of the teams under that. So I'm curious, you know, I'll get into all the things I wrote about and my take on it, but I'm curious to to hear your take on it because there's a lot going on there. Not much of it is good.
1: I mean, I think I would sort of push back on this idea that it's a wasted season. Like they started off last season really slow as well. And Doncic started off last season very slow. And, you know, they still didn't get out of the first round, but that season ended with them putting the fear of God into the Clippers and pushing that team to the very brink. And that was, you know, at full strength, that Clippers team I think had a case for being the best team in the Western Conference, maybe even the best team in the NBA. And uh, I just – there's a lot of time for the Mavs to kind of turn this thing around, and I don't – I'm not saying – that it's a wasted season just yet. It obviously hasn't gone great. And Luca hasn't looked right. He's been in and out of the lineup. He's got this ankle injury. Hasn't looked totally fit when he's been playing. He admittedly is out of shape. Right. Porzingis, you know, he picked up a foot injury in their last game and he might be set to miss more time. And obviously, you know, even when they've kind of been at something resembling full strength, the product hasn't looked especially inspiring i will say and i think i mentioned this last time we talked about them but to me their defense has mostly been good and like has looked you know from a process standpoint like they're doing a lot of the right things uh they're you know they're good at suppressing threes they don't allow a ton of shots at the rim they're actually very solid in transition uh and i guess being a low turnover team as they are really helps in that regard but like you know they don't foul a lot. They've been great on the defensive glass. Uh, it's just that opponents have kind of been shooting it really well from everywhere. But even, even given that fact, like the fact that opponents have been shooting well from everywhere, from three, from mid-range, at the rim, they're still I think 13th in defensive rating. Yeah. So, so they've that gone to me from
0: brutal the last couple of years. I think they were 22nd last year to middle of the pack, slightly above average this year. That's the silver lining here. They have found some sort of defensive recipe that works.
1: Yeah. And I don't think that that feels unsustainable, you know, Um, because it's not like they're getting lucky in turn. Like it's, it's been the opposite actually. And, you know, I think Finney Smith has been excellent uh, from what I've seen. Uh, I think Porzingis has done a really solid job protecting the rim. Brunson competes, you know, Hardaway junior, I feel like just gets a little bit better defensively every year. Uh it's really honestly like Lucas kind of been one of the weak links when he's been healthy at the defensive end and that I mean I guess that's a recurring problem but also something where like if or when he gets back up to full strength I don't think he's such a liability that he's going to like drag their defense down by himself like he has limitations when it comes to staying in front and maybe like moving his feet laterally but that dude is also strong as hell yep and I certainly think there are ways that they can work around his limitations defensively. So I'll give them kudos for what they've done at that end of the floor. The offensive process certainly hasn't always been great, uh, but even so, they should be better. Than they've missed they've a picked. ton of they've missed a ton of threes.
0: Like they're a very three point reliant team who's shooting well below their standards from deep.
1: That's like. That's not all of it, but that's a huge part of it, right? They're like, what, thirty-two percent as a team yeah. and and just hoisting a ton of threes. And that's yeah. six sixth most
0: three-point reliant team by three-point attempt rate. And to your right. point, I believe bottom two, bottom three, an actual three-point percentage.
1: Yeah. Um, and that's not not a problem. Like I do think their three-point percentage will collectively improve and that will make everything look a little bit better, but also you know, they take a ton of threes. They also take a ton of mid-range shots. Yes. And consistently this season, they have been dead last in the league in rim frequency. Like, that has not changed. It's been like just 30th, 30th, 30th the entire way. It was, Luca being in the lineup didn't help. He hasn't been getting to the rim this year, which is a big change for him. Like, that's been something that he's been really effective at doing in the past hasn't been getting to the rim, hasn't had that burst going downhill. It's really just Brunson who's giving them any kind of north-south pop right now. Yep. And for everyone else, it's like they're just not really able to puncture the defense in a meaningful way. So much of their offense is like above the break oriented, right? Like you watch their possessions and it's like four guys above the break and they're swinging it around. And it's like some, some of those guys can kind of attack a closeout, but it's like, you know, a lot of the time it's like Kleba attacking a closeout where, okay, like he can get by like the first layer of defense, but he doesn't have the explosiveness to get all the way to the rim. Like one rotation comes and it stalls out the possession. Um, so but, I think like for, for as long as Luca is not Luca in terms of having his, his burst, you know, getting into the teeth of the defense, getting all the way to the rim. I, I think that's going to continue to be an issue for them where they're just, they're, they're so reliant on jumpers and, and, you know obviously if they're not hitting them it's going to look pretty rough.
0: You mentioned them being uh the most rim averse team in the league for the majority of the season or near the bottom. There's that. They don't get to, they get to the free throw line at a bottom five rate. They rarely get in transition. They don't really crash the offensive glass that well. They don't incorporate a lot of off ball movement into their offense. To your point it's a lot of above the break stuff. So you end up with this offense that's completely dependent on Luca's magic basically when he is at his best porzing his post-ups to to his credit he's been pretty efficient posting up this season but still that's not well exactly.
1: he had been that's those post-ups starting have actually starting to drop of come, off yeah they've come crashing back right down to and
0: Earth's and place. and the point of that is like you don't want your offense subsisting on Kristaps porzing his post-ups as like the second kind of option you're looking for as you run your actions and again, yeah, Luca like bears part of the blame there because he hasn't been himself and he admittedly showed up out of shape. The one thing I'll say, and he talked about this too, is like there, it was a condensed off season followed by a condensed season followed by an Olympics where he dragged Slovenia, an Olympic summer where he dragged Slovenia to the Olympics through a qualifying tournament first, uh, to get them into the Olympics for the first time. And then another condensed off season. So he said he like gave his body a break, or maybe he ended up taking a break that he wouldn't, have normally taken, and I think that's understandable given all the ball he played and all the condensed um, seasons and off seasons in between. The counter to that, of course, would be while all of that is fair, he is still an NBA superstar that his team is depending on, and that just gave him a two hundred plus million dollar extension. So I think it's like. I think there's two sides here where it's like, okay, it is fair. He gave his body a rest at some point after all that. I think it's also fair. The Mavs would have expected him to come in better shape than this, you know, like maybe you don't have to come in in perfect shape, but be better than this. And again, when you have this offense that is very reliant on him, part of that, again, that's on the Mavs that they, at this point, still haven't really found the necessary secondary initiator and creator that can help Luca. Look, Jalen Brunson has been awesome. Tim Hardaway Jr. has had his moments and it's still crazy to me that they, the Mavs ended up getting him in that deal while acquiring Porzingis. But like, all due respect to those guys, you're not contending for a championship if Jalen Brunson and Tim Hardaway Jr. are your secondary initiators. It's just not happening. Doncic is a pick and roll maestro without a starter level pick and roll partner. Dwight Powell is a great pick and roll partner. Cleave has been good with him, but like those guys are averaging about 20 minutes a game. You know, like there's not Porzingis would rather pop than than roll, and he'd much rather just post up in general. There's not nearly enough help for Luca here, and so that's why I say, in a way, they're almost failing each other so far this season. Where it's like Luca could have been better, and I think he will be better, as you said, he played his way into shape last year too. And I think the Mavs could have done a much better job by this point. You know, we're not talking about year two, Luca. Like this is year four of his career now, and I still don't really think they've optimized the team around him. And offensively, creativity wise, it's gone worse, man. It was starting to slip under Carlisle the last couple of years. like they went for was it two years ago they had the most efficient offense ever? Two years yeah. ago they had and then last year they were eighth ranked for the season. And then the first year under Kid, I believe man, uh, as of the time I had written that piece last week, I believe they had slipped all the way to seventeenth and it might even be lower now,
1: yeah, I mean, it probably is lower now they've been playing without Luca for yeah. The last, I don't even know how many games at this point, but. And you look, you look at like the dependence
0: on him and he leads the league in usage rate for a second straight year. So to put his workload in perspective, his last three seasons have all ranked among the 14 highest usage seasons ever. And then obviously that's just the percentage of possessions that are ending in his hands. And you combine that with the fact that he leads the league in assist percentage where like almost forty-six percent of his teammates' field goals are being assisted by him when he's on the court. He's obviously capable of doing it, but like, man, that is a heavy, heavy load on a guy. And I just at what point do the Mavs I'm not saying it's easy. I get you can't just pick up the phone and find that second guy.
1: But Yeah, what would you I mean, I'm I'm genuinely curious I so, because, and I, because and I, pick, I think you know they Look, the, maybe the Porzingis thing hasn't worked out as well as they would have hoped, but going out and getting him was a very worthwhile
0: swing.
1: 100%. 100%. And I, I actually disagree that he's not a good pick-and-roll partner for Luka. I think he's a great pick-and-roll partner for Luka. I think part of the problem, and you mentioned Powell, I, Powell has not been effective this year. Like, in He any is capacity. his most
0: uh, effective pick-and-roll partner, though, numbers-wise.
1: Yeah, but it's also like... If you watch them, like, he doesn't really have a ton of roll gravity. And I feel like maybe his numbers, like, finishing on the pick and roll look good because, like, he's only ever looking to finish when he has a wide open dunk, like when Luca gets blitzed maybe and he's rolling into space and there's nobody coming to tag. But I don't feel like he's consistently pulling in weak side defenders. He's not really rolling... As hard, I think, as he used to. He doesn't have the same vertical pop that he used to have. And, you know, defensively, like, he just hasn't been an impactful rim protector at all. So, like, I don't think they're really getting the benefit at either end of the floor of playing two bigs together. And it's, you know me, it's not like a fundamental opposition that I have to playing two bigs together. Like, we talked all about the Cavs Mm -hmm. a couple of weeks back. I wrote wrote a story about, like, why it's working for them. But it's not working for Dallas because Powell, I don't think, has been good. And like uh, with with Luca, Porzingis, and Powell all on the floor, the Mavs have a ninety nine point four offensive rating. Like atrocious. That's that's pathetic. It's just it's just not really working. And I I think you know with Porzingis as the lone big man, that offensive rating jumps up to almost one thirteen. The defense is worse in those alignments in, in large part because the defensive rebounding is way worse, but they still have a plus 4.1 net rating in those Porzingis at five lineups. And I think that's something that they just have to lean into a little bit more. And if you want to see him rolling to the basket more often than he's popping or more often than he's spotting up, then I feel like that those are the lineups that you need to be throwing out there in order to facilitate that, in order to to, to like allow him space to roll into and allow him to be a little bit more effective inside the arc, which I do think he's improved in that regard. Like he has become a much better two point scorer over the last couple of years. The big issue with him right now is he's shooting 28% from three. You know, he like so many other Mavericks right now is just shooting well below his career norms from deep. And, you know, I think if, or when that changes, then again, uh, a lot of these things will start to look quite a bit better, but just in general I, I don't like why why is there all of this angst and desperation already you know you not think Lucas.
0: angst and de- desperation he's under contract through 2027 he and I just even wrote, a I even wrote expansion. in the piece that this is clearly not now or never for the Mavericks like they have time there should not be panic but I also think that while like opposing fans media whatever are like far too often in a rush to push guys out of places that they don't want to see guys or whatever, because it's not their team. I agree with that. I think like the incumbent teams and fan bases or whatever are also guilty sometimes of assuming, well, like, it's fine, we've got the guy under contract for a long time, like, we'll figure it out, or we've got all the time in the world when it's like, you, you just never know. And I don't like the idea of having a guy as good and transcending as Luca, and almost wasting years with him. And I'm sorry, but I, I, this year to me, they have it, it looks like a wasted year. And again, I like I said, he's got part of the blame for that. I'm not saying it's all the organization, but I, well, yeah. I don't, I, mean, I don't <laughs> like when you like people look at it as like, well, this, you know, this guy's gonna be there a long time, so whatever, or like there's no rush. It's like, okay, yeah, there's no rush, but you also shouldn't just be letting years go by. Again, this is Luca Doncic in year four, in a year where the Western Conference was battered and weakened by star injuries and if anything the Mavs have regressed
1: okay but so what's the fix like like what is this you know magic solution to the issues that they're having you know well I I don't
0: this is both this is part of the problem though you say okay he just signed the extension they have a lot of time part of the problem is that like there isn't an easy fix part of the problem is looking at the situation realizing they regressed realizing they're not good enough right now and then to your point, what is the fix? Like, okay, the, the Mavs were seen as a big free agent player all those years they had max space. They never ended up really being one. They struck out a lot of those years when they had the max space. Now it looks like they're going to be capped out for at least the next couple years. You want to talk trade routes? It's How willing do you think teams are to take what could be $70 million over two years after this one for Porzingis because he's got the big player option at the end? Like, I don't think teams are exactly lining up for that. The Mavs can't trade a first rounder until 2025, other than an 11 million dollar trade exception, which can't be combined with other players. What's their best non doncic trade chip, or who is their best? Is it Brunson? Uh, who is? But they need Brunson. He was not even making two million dollars because he's still on his rookie scale deal. Like,
1: yeah, like I—that's what I'm saying. So, like, you know, you're talking about they, like they need the secondary playmaker, secondary ball handler. Well, like Brunson is like. Brunson is that guy. Like he may not be as good a secondary creator as you would want if you're, you know you're going to put someone next to Luca and hopefully compete for championships. But like he is the best they have, right? And so okay, he's also their best trade chip. But then, that, but we're, this we're is my point. point. Like, I, I this understand. is my point. It's like
0: yeah, they have time because Luca's under contract. But like this season's not looking great, and there doesn't really look like an avenue to
1: get Luca the help he needs. I I mean, look. Giannis didn't make it out of the first round until he was 25. Okay, Luca's 22. He was first team All NBA in two of his first three seasons. He he just signed the five year extension. Like it's th- there is time. Like it's not now or never. Like and so
0: let's so let, let's celebrate them. They should hang a banner for finishing ninth in this. Year. I'm
1: not saying they should hang a banner. I'm just saying like okay. So like if you spend the first you know four seasons of your career basically. Competing for low playoff seeds and losing in the first round, that's not like a death knell for the Luka era era in Dallas. It might look right now like there aren't big solutions to their big problems, but that doesn't mean those solutions won't present themselves in the future. Just like with the Bucs, it was, you know, it seemed like that team was going nowhere, like they were failing Giannis. And then a few, you know, they they hit big on a few well-timed personnel moves. They made a major coaching upgrade. Uh, and that involved replacing Jason Kidd. So maybe there'll yeah. be an avenue. for Unfortunately, that's similar. year
0: one of Kidd as well. They, Dallas's move was replacing Carlisle with Kidd. And we can talk Carlisle stuff too, because I know there's that Tim McMahon report.
1: Yeah, but again, it's like, it, it's a process. And I don't, you know, I don't think like pushing all their chips in or just like doing some big sweeping roster overhaul right now is necessarily the right move for them. If, you know, I mean, you hope with the front office, there's more of a long-term vision there and they can afford to take their time. And I also just, like, this goes back to what we were talking about with Dame and the Blazers the other week. When it comes to teams built around superstars who are flawed and whose flaws contribute to the particular ways in which their teams wind up being limited, I just fundamentally reject this idea that those stars quote, deserve a a better supporting cast or, like, have been wronged by their organizations if they aren't competing for or winning championships. Like, this is a zero-sum game, and a lot of people are destined to get left out or to come up short. And again, Luca's 22, and he's already one of, you know, the 10 best players in the league when he's operating in peak condition. So I'm certainly not saying that he's going to end up being one of those players who comes up short. Just that all this sort of hand-wringing about the state of the Mavs, and like, to be clear, purely from a basketball perspective, because it's obvious that there's a lot of internal dysfunction going on behind the scenes, but on court, I just think the belly aching is a bit premature, Uh, you know, and I think maybe part of the problem is Luca raised the expectations so high, so early, you know, that the team has kind of struggled to meet those expectations. And, And, and I think that is probably contributing to the fraught internal dynamics as well. Where he came in and and just like set this expectation and set this bar so high that, um, you know, everyone's suddenly expecting so much from this team and arguably expecting too much right now. And at the end of the day, yeah, like this team ran into a really tough matchup with a, a really good Clippers team two years in a row, almost eliminated them both times, had them on the ropes both times. And they're off to a slow start this season and maybe they'll turn it around, maybe they won't, but... I just don't think they're in crisis mode or, or at least I don't think they should be in crisis mode yet.
0: Yeah, I don't think they should be in crisis mode yet. I would argue though that in the 2 years they lost to that Clippers team, they didn't again, obviously we're not we're not in the meetings. We don't know what they tried to do and what they just couldn't pull off, but it is a results-based business. They didn't end up they took those two losses to the Clippers and how have they really improved their roster and or team since then? they replaced rick carlisle with jason kidd
1: okay but and they got some is...
0: internal development now the one the hmm. pushback i'd say about the Giannis stuff and the dame stuff one the Giannis stuff his first few years in the league he wasn't while there was like signs he was going to be a star he wasn't what luka was right away so you're talking about from like from when Giannis became like a star they were a 60 win conference finalist within like three years dame For as great as Dame is, if you, like, in terms of, like, transcendent talent, he's not even on the same playing field as Doncic's potential and, like, how good Doncic was right away. So, again, I'm not saying it means they should be, like, winning the title this year, but they should be further along than this, given how good Luka is, given the state of the West. And, yes, did he give them a head start? Did he raise the expectations? Maybe a little too early. Sure. But that doesn't mean that they should be, like, excused for failing to live up to those because they have all this time or because, like... That's right, what I'm saying. I, I think, think both things think can they're be resting true. On- I think both things can be true. I think it can be that okay, you don't have to fully panic right now, but they have also failed thus far. Like they haven't progressed.
1: I know, but do you think that's because they're resting on their laurels, or do you I don't know? It's We're because, not there. Like you know, they made their big bet. Their big bet was on Porzingis. He's been good in spots, probably fine overall, and you know, looking at the situation as a whole, like probably a, a, a disappointment. In terms of what they were expecting from him. So what like I I just think like that that was their big roll of the dice. They shelled out a lot of draft capital in order to get him in the door. I I just like I I don't necessarily see it as like, okay, we're we're folding our arms, we're being complacent, like let's just roll the ball out and let Luca do his thing. I think it's more like I don't know what avenues they have to meaningfully improve right now. I don't. But think isn't those- that in and of itself concerning at all to you? I mean, it's. I'm like, it's not because I just
0: don't think. But, like, okay, but what I'm saying is, if you're, if you're, I'm, a, I'm assuming agreeing that they are not a contender as presently constructed. Correct. But you're also agreeing that they currently don't have the means to make the moves necessary to get there. That's what I'm saying. C- so then, are we just are we just like? Assuming that for the next couple years, Dallas is just not going to be a contender with a talent like Luca. And is that not at all like
1: I'm not necessarily saying that. I think these things can change in a hurry, but like, yeah, they need to they need to hit on like a free agent signing, you know, a mid level guy, somebody in the draft, or like they're like somehow a trade market needs to develop for one of their players that's gonna help them make a meaningful upgrade. But Barring that, it's like, yeah, they're a little bit stuck right now. Uh, You know, maybe until Porzingis' contract comes off the books, and you know, a couple years from now, maybe they have max cap space, and the idea of playing next to Luca is really appealing for a a superstar free agent. And like, I, I don't know, I just think that these things can change in a hurry, and to to say that. I don't know. I just don't see it as being all doom and gloom because in Luca's fourth season, they're not contending for a championship. I think it's, I think there's time. They they signed him to that max extension. You know, they have him under contract for five years after this one. Uh I, I think big picture, they'll probably be okay. And again, not necessarily saying that they will win a championship with with Luca and Dallas. That might not happen. <laughs> one you know, one team out of yeah, thirty of wins every year, but. I don't think the fact that they are like not a contender right now is like I said, I don't think it's a crisis. Um, That's not like, that's not saying they shouldn't be trying all the time to get better. Of course they should. I I just, you know, right now I think they kind of have to wait. I pointed out in the piece too, like one thing I think is interesting
0: is that look, I, People rightfully clown, I clowned the Hawks as I did the Suns and the Kings for technically passing on Luca. And obviously everyone continues to make like the Trey Luca thinks because the Hawks essentially picked Trey over Luca. But the one thing I think we can say is that like, if anything, at least the Hawks have done a better job building a team around Trey, I think. A more optimal team around him than the Mavs have done around Luca. Now, to your point, that could just be because the Mavs took the first big swing with Porzingis. Hasn't worked out the way they quite wanted it to. And it did leave them a bit strapped. In terms of this year... I think it comes down to their defense improved Bravo and it became like a middle of the pack average defense, which is a big step for them. But that would have been good enough in years past when they literally had the most efficient offense ever, or even last year when they were top 10 and it was like, man, if we can even just have a passable defense, we're really good. And then this year they make that jump defensively. And unfortunately it coincides with their offense becoming kind of a floundering mess. That's also shooting well below its standards. So Not a lot lining up for them. One thing we didn't mention too, so Doncic has been uh, one of, if not the player most negatively affected by the league's crackdown on the whole unnatural movements designed to draw fouls thing. But I will say too, I think part of him not getting to the line as much also probably has to do with his admittedly being out of shape, maybe not having the quickness, the first step, whatever. Because even if you look at the numbers, the league average free throw attempt rate has decreased by 7.1%. Doncic has decreased by 25.5% year over year.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned Trey, like Trey's also been negatively affected by those those yeah, rule changes and absolutely. he's figured it out. You know, like Trey keeps getting better and better. And Luca, this season has not been nearly at the level he was at in the last 2 years and that is on him. Like uh, yes, the roster construction around him is not perfect, but he needs to be better for the Mavs to have any hope of going anywhere. And look, I I think that there is still time and still a chance that this does turn around. He comes back gets healthy they start knocking down threes they could very well find themselves as the four seed by season's end i don't i don't think that's off the table at all and then you know maybe they end up the four seed they win a round and suddenly this looks like progress rather than regression like i I just let's give it some time is my feeling
0: did you do you have any thoughts on that tim mcmahon
1: i don't is expose too too strong of a word last week
0: on on the um, deterioration of the relationship between Rick Carlisle and Luka Doncic and what ultimately led to Rick Carlisle stepping down. Uh, McMahon wrote that piece last week. The big takeaway from it was essentially that it wasn't about the way Rick Carlisle treated Luka Doncic because he actually favored him. And he was, you know, as we had already known, was a lot more um, hands-off with him than he was with previous ball dominant. Like you remember when Rajon Rondo got... (laughs) traded there and there, that didn't last long at all. And they clashed immediately because Riccardo was the type of guy that was like, I am going to call every single play every single time down the court. And Rondo wasn't that type of point guard. And with Doncic, he's been very hands off. He's given him the keys to the offense and to the team in ways he had never given a star before, or a, a, at least a ball dominant, you know, lead guard type star. So you have all that stuff. And again, that, that's the point of the story. It's not about how Carlisle treated Luca but that it was the Luca took exception to the way Rick Carlisle treated others. Did you have any thoughts, takeaways from that piece other than at least Carlisle
1: wanted to draft Donovan Mitchell instead of Dennis Smith jr. Got that. Yeah, one? Who right? didn't? I mean, we've heard that, that Steve Clifford wanted to draft Donovan Mitchell yeah. <laughs> instead of uh, miles bridges, which I mean, Hey, that's, that's worked out pretty well for the Hornets anyway. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I feel like there have been so many stories that have come out subsequently yeah. about team X wanted to draft Donovan mm-hmm. Mitchell. Like, okay, great job.
0: Yeah. Great job. Uh, Almost drafting them. Is a Danny Ainge special?
1: Um, yeah, exactly that. But yeah, I mean, I just, my takeaway from that is like going back to the conversation that we had about uh, Neil Olshay when he was ousted after that internal investigation. It's like, I, I don't think that this is unique in terms of, you know, the relationship dynamics in the league between front office or coaching personnel Uh, and other members of the organization. And I'm not excusing that. Like, I'm not saying that we shouldn't hold these people to higher standards when it comes to how they treat people. Uh, And hopefully that paradigm is changing. I did think it was interesting. And I'm in in no way like defending Jason Kidd as a human being. Like, I, I think I've in the past made my feelings about Jason Kidd very clear. I don't think he should be coaching in the NBA on account of his history of domestic abuse, um, drunk driving, like all other manner of unsavory behavior. Like I I have no love whatsoever for Jason Kidd. I did think think it was interesting that in light of those fractured relationships that Carlisle helped bring about, they went and hired Jason Kidd who has a history, like, you know, in his coaching stint with the Bucks of pretty abrasive confrontational methods. And it seemed like, at least, you know, based on Tim McMahon's account of things, like he is really trying to to soften that and be more of a player's coach and more of a relationship builder than he'd been with Milwaukee and maybe with Brooklyn before that. Like, I, I think that's interesting. And obviously, uh, I don't know if that was his choice, if that was like a directive coming down from the front office where like, if we're going to hire you priority number one just needs to be fostering good relationships with our players and Luca, especially because it's his team and everything revolves around him. Um, But I think, you know, if you, if you look at that story and it wasn't just about Carlisle's relationship, you know, with Luca or the way that he treated the other players, but also, you know, there was the tidbit about Jamal Mosley and how Carlisle was apparently jealous of him and thinking that Mosley was angling to take his spot. You couple that with the front office drama, you know, with Donnie Nelson being jealous of Haralabob and thinking that 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 his uh, job was in jeopardy. And then he winds up losing his job, possibly in part because he leaked all that stuff to the athletic for that story that they did. And it just seems like a lot of pettiness, jealousy and just overall dysfunction going on with that organization. I I think I would coaches are also
0: super paranoid people. When it comes to like the threats to their job. Yeah. Which is
1: fair because those jobs are super scarce, right? <laughs> like <laughs> probably from the moment you get that job, you're looking over your shoulder. Uh, and I can totally understand that, but I, I almost might worry more about that stuff than I would about the state of the on court product for Dallas right now. It just seems like not a great work environment for anybody.
0: Well, Happy holidays, Mavs fans. <laughs> I promise I don't think it's as bad as it sounds like I think it is. I just think don't rest on your laurels. And I know we're not in the rooms. We're not in the the war rooms. We don't know whether how much they are resting on their laurels or how much they are just, you know, as frustrated as I am right now, looking at this. as, well, we can't do anything. I just think that there is something to be concerned about when you still look this far away from contention with a talent like Luca And don't have the means to get significantly better. They have five years, you'd assume, to figure that out. We're going to take five seconds to take a break, come back, talk about the Grizzlies. A lot more of a feel-good team right now. What's up, Pound the Rock listeners? Just a friendly reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. You can also check out the Scores Fantasy Football podcast with Justin Boone. And in case you haven't already, download the Score app, available on iPhone and Android. That's where you can find all of our featured content, as well as live scores, updates, and breaking news. And don't forget to check out the Score's YouTube page for an informative, yet lighthearted dive into the sports world's trending topics. Now back to the show. Alright, well fun. we are going to talk about the Grizzlies as promised, but it's a Tuesday, you know what that means. It's time for our weekly Tuesday Trash Talk segment, Talking Trash presented by KFC. Talk trash, don't make trash. As a reminder, what we'll do during the segment is highlight an instance from the past week of some sort of NBA-related trash talk, players beefing, some sort of tidbit like that from around the league. And this week, we're going to dive into Benny the Bull, a mascot. You know things are going bad in Lakerland when the mascots are dragging them. Benny the Bull, who's had this great bit, and I don't know if he's done this in the past, but he's done it throughout this season where he'll do like like he's painting something, like, you know, this pro artist. And then when you zoom in, you see what he's actually painting. And so like when the Nuggets were in town, it's like he's looking at the Nuggets and painting this portrait. And then you zoom in and it's just like a box of chicken nuggets or something. And for the Lakers what he did is he'd put the Lakers in the classic uh, X-Men Wolverine meme where, you know, he's looking at the photograph of times gone by. And for the Lakers, they're looking longingly at a picture of Alex Caruso, who they, of course, let walk, let go, ended up on the Bulls. He's playing great as a defensively minded, capable role player on a very, very good team. Also, I mean, obviously Lonzo Ball didn't directly come from the Lakers, but originally from the Lakers, I believe the the Bulls broadcast even, uh, broadcast affiliate tweeted out uh, the Benny the Bull image and then quote tweeted it saying like when you know two-fifths of your best lineup is actually like Lakers rejects or something like that. Anyway, I, I doubt you have many thoughts on Benny the Bulls trash talk, but do you have any thoughts that we haven't already touched on when it comes to the Lakers? Because we have talked about them a lot or even the Bulls. Um, about either Caruso's play for them, the Lakers letting some talent get
1: away, any of that? Uh, I will say, I mean, obviously, I think it was a huge mistake for the Lakers to let Caruso walk. I yeah, said so that you agree in with, you the offseason. I agree with Benny. Um, I mean, you mentioned Lonzo, right? I think it, probably the Lakers aren't staying up at night looking <laughs> right. longingly at the photo of Lonzo caressing that picture a la the Wolverine meme. You know, that was a trade that they had to make. I think they're fine letting Lonzo go. Caruso, they could have just re-signed and chose not to. Tried to pitch him on, well, we're going to give you less, but it's going to cost us the same amount because of the luxury tax bill. So just like do us a solid and sign with us for less. Didn't work, surprisingly. I'm shocked that Alex Caruso didn't see the Lakers sacrifice in terms of their luxury tax bill as opposed to money going into his pocket as being a a worthwhile pitch they obviously screwed that up. But I I will say, like, the Lakers have climbed into the top 10 in defensive rating, which, you know, they've been in the bottom half of the league for most of the season. So that's pretty surprising to me and and fairly encouraging. Uh, Their offense is 24th right now, and that's what's dragging them down. I would expect that to improve. But
0: how much will that defense remain as solid as it is now that Anthony Davis is going to be out four to six weeks?
1: It's a good question. I'm I'm not sure. I mean, we've seen with AD out, they're going to a lot more LeBron at center. Dwight is also out too. Like he's in health and safety protocols. So that might have something to do with it. But like a lot more LeBron at center. And I wonder how sustainable that is long-term, especially defensively. Like they were already having a lot of trouble on the defensive glass. And playing LeBron at the five is certainly not going to help in that regard. And also it's just like, you know, the fact that those LeBron at five lineups, it's like part of this is because they're so banged up and so many guys are out that they can't really properly fill out those lineups. But part of it is like the back end of their roster is just so bad that it's okay. So you, you have LeBron at five, but you're not really getting the benefit of five out spacing with those lineups because Westbrook and Rondo are both on the floor. (laughs) Like it kind of defeats the purpose and down the stretch of that game against the Bulls, it was like, I think it was LeBron, Melo, Ariza, Westbrook, and Rondo. And Vooch was guarding Ariza, basically. And, and e- even Ariza, who is ostensibly a shooter, isn't like such a threatening shooter that if you have your center guarding him as Vooch was, you're going to worry about having him helping in the paint. And so down the stretch of that game, I think we saw, you know, on a lot of those possessions, the bulls were just like helping liberally off of all three of those guys, off of Westbrook, off of Rondo, off of Ariza and just mucking up LeBron's driving lanes and like crowding his post-ups so that he didn't really get the benefit uh, of, of playing the five at the offensive end. And then, you know, defensively they just didn't have any rim protection and, can't secure defensive rebounds, so it's like nice in theory, but if you can't actually build out those lineups around him, it's not going to work. So yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm curious to see, I guess, how that goes and whether they can just sort of tread water until AD gets back. But regardless, things are looking pretty bleak in Lakerland right now.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm glad you went with a very thorough and thoughtful explanation as opposed to your text conversation that was just Benny the Bull has more heart than Anthony Davis. Well, oh no, maybe I said that. (laughs) I was going to say. Anyway.
1: (laughs) I wish I'd thought of that.
0: (laughs) That was our Talking Trash segment. Shout out to the real MVP of Talking Trash, KFC. By 2025, all their consumer-facing packaging will be fully home compostable, putting them one step closer to being the GOAT the greenest of all time. All right, let's talk Grizzlies. Inject some positive energy into this week's episode before the holidays. They are 19-13. and 13. They've lost back-to-back games after ripping off that winning streak. They've gotten John ja Morant back, but they also, in John ja Morant's return game, lost to the same OKC team they beat by a NBA record 73 points a couple of weeks ago. And according to Ja, d- during that game, which was a home game, and again, his return to the court after three weeks away. Ja told reporters after the game that some courtside fans in Memphis were apparently telling him that he should sit back down, I, I guess because the team was winning without him or whatever the case was. So maybe this isn't going to be as positive a segment as we thought it was going to be, even that we're going to talk about the Grizzlies, but all in all, I think the Grizzlies are a positive story and Morant is back now. Jaron Jackson played really well when he wasn't there. The defense obviously improved when Ja wasn't around, but I think it's very obvious to say that their overall ceiling and talent level is significantly raised and improved with Morant in the fold, in the picture. And he is again now. So what do you think of this team, Wolfon? How real is this 19 and 13 start?
1: If you're a courtside fan heckling your own team's players, like just rethink your entire existence. That's all I have to say about that element of all this. But I, I, okay. So I agree with you that, First of all, there's a little bit of noise that's that's skewing like the on-off stuff with Jaw. The Grizzlies are like fifteen points per hundred possessions better with him off the floor this season. And I, I don't think that's telling anything close to the whole story. But I also think it's worth investigating, and I don't think we can just like cast that aside completely. Like that stuff matters. And it matters that you know, in the 12 games he missed. They climbed from 30th to 15th in defensive rating. Like they were dead last before his injury and they were last by a lot. Uh, they allowed 3.6 more points per hundred possessions than any other team. And then during his absence, they were first. They went from allowing 115.9 points per hundred to out to allowing 98.1 points per hundred before and after his injury. Part of that is, Ja is not a good defender. I, I've mentioned that many times before. He struggles to get around screens. He can be spacey off the ball. He obviously is just like a little bit slight of frame and so can't impact the ball all that much. And the difference between having, you know, him and someone like Tyus Jones in the starting lineup is considerable. Like Tyus Jones is a really good and really aggressive point of attack defender who gets his hands on a lot of balls, who makes timely help rotations. And like it's just like they've just been a lot stouter at the point of attack, allowing less penetration. And that has certainly helped. It's also worth noting that Dylan Brooks came back just before jaw went down. And I think the defense had already started to improve before Morant's injury in large part because Brooks had come back. Then there's like just the the three-point shooting that they're allowing, which in large part to me is not like Jaws' fault and beyond his control. They went from uh, opponent shooting 49.2% on corner threes before he got injured, which was by far the worst in the league, to opponent shooting 26.7% from the corners after his injury, uh, which again, I think some of that might come down to him and like, you know, you're, you're having more breakdowns at the point of attack, more scrambles and rotations on the back end, more guys having to peel off the corner. It makes sense maybe that there would be like some deviation there in how opponents are shooting from deep, but certainly nothing close to that extent. Um, but, and maybe the biggest thing, honestly, is like they they have just amped up their ball pressure to the point that they've been first by a mile in forcing turnovers uh, since Morant went down. And... Like th- their offense, which I think surprisingly continued to thrive and play at like a borderline top five level with Morant out. I think the reason their offense continued to thrive was because they were creating so many turnovers and that was fueling their transition offense. So there's some noise in there, you know, the three-point shooting being the, the biggest part of it. But there's also some some real meat there in terms of Jaw's defensive struggles and I think how much better they're able to defend with him on the bench and that's not to say that they're better without him they're not obviously he you know he's still the franchise player and the guy that everything is being built around here and he's a an unbelievable talent an unbelievable offensive talent who you know is capable i don't even know what he's capable of in in the long term but like he is to me like a guy who's going to make all NBA teams in the future like he is that good not just as a scorer but as a playmaker uh, as someone who's capable of playing off the ball, his speed in the open floor, like
0: Re- can really they- dictate the pace of a game, which is said about so many players and guards, but there are a few yeah. that truly like meet that threshold, that criteria. And John Moran is one of them can dictate the pace of a game.
1: Yeah. And also, and, and just is like one of the most dominant paint scorers in the NBA as like a, you know, six, one yeah. or six, two guard. He is, he's incredible, but, You know, the defense with him has always been an issue. And I think the question now is, okay, can they take the stuff that they've done without him? The help side rotations, the pressure at the point of attack, forcing turnovers, all that stuff. Like, can, can they continue to do that with him back in the lineup and just insulate him at that end of the floor to the point that, you know, he can just completely raise their ceiling at the offensive end without taking too much off the table on defense because of, the way that they're able to protect him.
0: And I wonder too, like at what point Morant himself becomes an improved defender, because look, I know that too many times when it comes to defense, I think people like will point to effort and not necessarily look at like skills, necessary footwork, defensive IQ, like all these little things that go into it, where it's like, you can try really hard and still not be a great defender. Like being a poor defender doesn't automatically mean you're not trying hard. But I do think with Morant, other than being, you know, slight of frame, He's not like, I don't think there's really anything limiting him defensively. He's got the mobility. He's got the speed. He's, I think, got a good IQ for the game. Like he should be a more passable defender. And I do wonder, considering the Grizzlies have played more meaningful games than anyone expected, they'd be playing the last two and a half years in part because of Morant's great. Like brilliance as a young player. I do wonder at what point we will see the uptick in his own defensive performance. Because I think it will come eventually, and I think to be honest, I think it has to come eventually for the Grizzlies to, have, you know, get to where they want to go years from now. Um, you know, whether it's you think of players like Zach Levine or Devin Booker or guys that were seen and are still seen as defensive minuses who did up their game defensively when their teams got good. The Jaws an in- interesting situation because he's seen it as a defensive minus, but his player his teams have been pretty solid and good his time in the NBA, and it still hasn't really translated to. An improved effort or performance on that end. And I do wonder, you know, at what point will we see that? Because I I think there is obviously room for growth there. I don't think we're looking at like a physically
1: incapable defender. I wonder if maybe like scaling back his offensive workload can help in that regard. And it's not like, you know, he's never carried a Luca or Trey level offensive load. You know, the, the Grizzlies haven't been this heliocentric offense that has had everything revolve around him but he he has the ball in his hands a lot of the time and I think you know one of the revelations of this stretch that they've played with him out is that guys like Desmond Bain and Dylan Brooks have stepped up and taken on those on-ball responsibilities and I mean you (laughs) You know well how I feel about Dylan Brooks. I think you know anyone who's listened to this podcast for more than a couple of months will know that I'm a Dylan Brooks super fan. Uh, Dude's got the sauce, man. He, I've said before, I think his hubris to shot-making ability ratio is probably number one in the league. Um, but the shot-making has improved. Like He's become a better three-point shooter. I think the touch on his in-between shots, his floater has gotten a lot better. You know The shot selection could still definitely be better with him. Uh, you know, once upon a time, I would have said and did say, in fact, <laughs> that the Grizzlies kind of needed that boundless confidence bordering on recklessness from him because they just didn't have a lot of like they didn't have any other guys, you know, apart from Ja basically, who who had that bravado and just could take the ball and go and like get you a shot. And maybe it wouldn't be a particularly good shot, but he would put pressure on the rim, put pressure on the defense and bail them out of some possessions because some of the time he was able to make the difficult shots that he was creating for himself I think you know with Morant out they still did need that from him but with with John Morant back and with Bain continuing to grow his off the dribble game and Jaron Jackson by the way polishing his overall offensive skill set I think you know I think Dylan can afford to scale it back and pick his spots a little bit more and and just be more selective about the shots he takes. You know, can he do that? like is he capable of doing that is uh, is the question, I suppose to me because look if if you have that, you have something like a, you know maybe it's not a three headed monster exactly, but you have secondary and tertiary creation from Bain and Brooks and they're doing it well. Then, you know, like, maybe you don't need Morant to be using 32% of the Grizzlies' possessions when he's on the floor, which is what he'd been doing before he got hurt. And maybe scaling down that workload is going to allow him to give maximal effort at the defensive end, and maybe we do see some improvement in that regard. Um, that, That is, you know, potentially the... Not that they need silver linings; they went ten and two without him, right? Like that—that right. that in itself is the silver lining. But even on top of that, like the growth that they've seen from those guys, knowing that they don't necessarily need Ja to carry this huge offensive load because there are other guys who can step up, who can run pick and roll, uh, who can create pretty good shots for themselves and for others. I think is a really encouraging sign. Um, so maybe maybe that's the avenue right? is just like lessening his load on offense Yeah, and, I think it and is. asking more of him at the defensive end.
0: Okay. I got two questions for you. The first one's a two-parter. Okay. Do you think Dylan Brooks is his team's most important defensive player? 100%. Agreed. So then the second part of that- It's him, it's him or Jaron right
1: now. Agreed, but I'd like, I, I, I I, I give the part. edge
0: to, to, to Brooks. I think he's their most important or valuable defensive player. And then it got me thinking like how many teams in the league can you say that a guard is their most valuable defensive player? Chicago. It's a short list, is what I'm saying. Like that, it's maybe a testament to the way the Grizzlies are built, but also a testament to Dylan Brooks that that yeah. is the case. And I agree with you. Chicago, on Chicago sorry, but, Chicago
1: and Boston, I think, are the two other teams. I, that I think it would be less than a handful. Yeah, yeah, where, for
0: sure. For a, where a guard is, the, is the most important defensive player. But I think Dylan Brooks is Memphis's most valuable defensive player. Okay, then the second question is: We both had Jaron Jackson on our list of swing players this season, I believe. Guys who depending on how they play, could help swing the season. And part of it was that it could help determine whether the Grizzlies remained as kind of like overachieving young team on the rise or whether they take the step back a lot envisioned for them this season. Do you believe through a third of the season, you have seen what you wanted to see out of Jaron Jackson? Or do you still think there's there's more that, not even just for his
1: future, but for this year and what he should be this year still hasn't been tapped? Both. Like, I've seen so much of what I wanted to see from him. You know, the biggest being that he is just playing with a ton of force. Like uh, he's at 1.09 points per possession on post-ups, which is tops in the league among players uh, who have finished at least 50 possessions out of the post. I mentioned last
0: week, remember what like just him bullying AD in the paint
1: that game. uh, He's done it to everyone. He saw him do it to like Pascal Siakam. Like we've seen him do it to, to, A lot of opposing big men, and that's been really encouraging to see. Uh, You know, he's also developing a bit of a face-up game, taking slower big men off of the bounce. He's looking like much more than a stretch big, Uh, and I, I think that has sort of covered up the fact that he actually hasn't shot the three ball very well, which is fine. Like I think if I were to say, okay, like wh- what would I rather see from him this season? Like just shoot the lights out from deep, but not show any development in terms of his inside the arc scoring, or he's showing a ton of development in terms of his inside the arc scoring and he's not shooting it that well from deep, I would have taken the latter. So like, I think this is still positive, but I, they, they still need him to shoot better. I think from long range, right? Like they, they still need him uh, to space the floor because you know, yes, Bain has been great shooting the ball. And Morant, I think, arguably has shot it like a little bit over his head so far this season. They still, they still could use the spacing. Uh, and like defenses kind of respect Jaron as a three-point shooter for the most part. Um, so even if he's not shooting the lights out from there, obviously him being on the floor can still have a big impact on their spacing. But, you know, the reason I think they need him to shoot better from three is that as good as I think he's been defensively, they're still so, so much better when he plays next to another center than when he's playing the five. Like with him and Adams on the floor together, they're plus 10.6 net rating compared to like plus two with him at the five. And like the the rim protecting numbers are way, way better. The rebounding numbers are way better. That is when they've been at their best is when Jackson and Adams are out there together. And so in those lineup configurations, it's obviously incumbent on Jaren to be the dynamite floor spacer that he's proven himself capable of being in the past. So it's, that's what I'm saying. It's both like at the defensive end, in terms of his switchability, his rim protection, like all that has been super encouraging his post-up game, his face-up game, his two point scoring great stuff. Would like to see him shoot the ball better. That's, that's pretty much where I'm at. Yeah. I think that's fair
0: uh grizzlies also have had so far the i believe eighth easiest schedule so we'll see as the schedule toughens up a bit how you
1: know what sorry just one more thing i guess i'll say because of the conversation that we just had about dallas which is that this team is still like very early in its development cycle Mm -hmm. and they've been ahead of schedule pretty much every step of the way from jaws rookie season until now
0: this was the year they were supposed to take a step back really
1: Well, I expected them to, like I thought, you know, the Valanchunas trade to me seemed not necessarily designed to take a step back, but they seemed to be willing to accept that possibility in order to maybe, I mean, they wanted a particular guy in the draft, seemed like they wanted Giddy and they didn't get him. They got Zaire Williams, who's been a mess this season, frankly, but obviously the the athletic tools are still tantalizing with him, but it seemed like they were willing to accept a short-term step back in exchange for maybe a a more promising long-term future. But they have continued to progress. Uh, and they're, you know, they have looked like the fourth best team in the Western Conference this season. That said, they're still young, they're still learning. I would still guess that they wouldn't make it out of the first round this year. That should be fine. Yep. You know, like and I, I it may feel different than it does in Dallas because they have like, I think, a more promising young core than the Mavericks do. But it could take a while for them to get to the point where they are like meaningfully competing. And I just think consistently exercising patience with young teams, giving them time to grow and figure themselves out. Um, that's, that's what we should always be trying to do. So uh, I guess a long way of saying, don't heckle your fucking franchise player when he comes back and you lose a game, maybe that you were expecting to win. Like, there are going to be bumps in the road and just give it time.
0: Realistically, if someone was heckling, if, if a Grizzlies fan was heckling Ja Morant, given the way the last two and a half years have gone in Memphis because of Ja Morant, I would say they're not, they're probably not really much of a Grizzlies fan. Probably just someone that can afford courtside seats. I was having a night out, you know what I like? Let's be honest here. They should have their Grizzlies fan card revoked. They should have their NBA watching card revoked. Agreed. Um, Not for our listeners, though. The best NBA observers in the game. (laughs) All right. Speaking of NBA observers, there will be games to observe on Christmas Day. They might look like G League games, but there will be games. (laughs) And the schedule as of now, barring any postponements, Hawks, Knicks, Trey Young, Trey Young's
1: in health and safety protocols. Is where he is. <laughs> he will not be at MSG. Celtics, Bucks,
0: <laughs> Warriors, Suns, Nets, Lakers, Mavs, Jazz. What do you yeah. What are you watching, Wolf? One? tee up Christmas Day in the NBA for us when a fifth a fifth of the league is in health and safety protocols right now.
1: Ah, uh, yeah, I'll probably watch it all because I'm a sick person, but. It's, yeah, I mean, certainly the the state of the league and the number of players in health and safety, or just straight up injured, uh, is going to take a ton of the shine off of this slate. Um, You know, Trey being out for Knicks Hawks is a huge bummer. Uh, I think RJ Barrett's also in health and safety it's just, yeah. I mean, it's it could have been a fun rematch of last year's fun, if short lived and very lopsided first round series, but with no Trey, it's just like, what's the point? Uh, I is, will it, say, is it not
0: possible he could be back uh, if he if he's vaccinated and returns two negative tests between now and then? Like, I I, I know yes. it's unlikely. We're talking about when, from when we're recording to that day is four days, but it's not
1: impossible. It's not unlikely, impossible. I'd say right, yeah. unlikely, but okay. Hopefully, fingers crossed that he is yeah. back. Um. Also, so with a bunch of these Knicks and health and safety protocols, RJ Barrett, I think quickly as well. Uh, Kemba Walker, back in the Knicks rotation, dropped 29 points the other night in his return to the lineup. So that could be something to watch. Kemba back and proving that he can still play and maybe just giving his trade value one last boost before the Knicks get healthy again and find a way to move him. But I guess if you're looking for things to watch in that game, the revival of Kemba Walker could be one um, man Celtics bucks. Another one that uh, could have been really fun, but no Giannis um, no anybody for the bucks. Really? I mean, Brooke Lopez has been out all season, but no Bobby Portis uh, possibly no Middleton who's non health and safety, but he has, I can't remember even what kind of injury he has a, an ankle injury or something like that. He might be out. Um, Not a lot of juice in this game for me. I think Warriors-Suns is the one where like, okay, if you're going to watch one of these games, that's the one you circle. Because first of all, these teams are mostly healthy. Uh, I think it's just Jordan Poole and Andrew Wiggins between the two teams that are in health and safety right now. And this is just one of the best matchups going right now, right? Like they've been the two best teams in the league so far. Not necessarily saying they are the two best teams, but unquestionably they've performed that way up to this point. And two of the three best defenses in the league, two of the most stylistically distinct offenses in the league. Uh, they had that kind of set where they played each other twice in one week earlier this month. Uh, they split the two games. So this should be a pretty fun tiebreaker. And it's just like, I don't know. If you if you like watching good teams who execute beautifully uh, and just run their systems to a T, then... I think this is obviously the game that you want to tune in for because uh, that should be loads of fun.
0: I'm interested to see Lakers versus the Long Island Nets <laughs> at 8 p.m. Because I, I, I think we might see Steve Nash suit up, man. I think we might see the return of the Canadian point guard.
1: Uh, I, I actually, Harden Harden might be back in time for this one. Um, but obviously, well, not obviously. I don't know how long KD is going to be in health and safety for so. Maybe KD will be back, but obviously no AD in this game. No Frank Vogel actually on the sidelines for the Lakers. Uh, and then all of the other Nets, KD, Kyrie, Aldridge, Bruce Brown, Millsap, James Johnson, DeAndre Bembry. Uh, those those guys are, uh, I think all of them going to still be out. Maybe a couple of them could be back in time. But yeah, uh, pretty depleted Nets roster right now.
0: I made the joke about uh, Steve Nash shooting up. I don't know. Did you see that great Doc Rivers quote last night? Uh, I can't, about, I yeah, about the
1: calls that he's like, Yeah. He like,
0: Doc Rivers said pregame or postgame yesterday before that Sixers Celtics game that like to let everyone realize how dire the situation is getting with the NBA needing replacement players, that he's been getting calls from some guys, I guess, maybe that he used to coach or just friends he used to have that played in the league, telling him about how they have offers to play. And Doc Rivers had this great quote where he was like, "What to play what, golf? Like you can't play basketball anymore. <laughs> now I do want to shout out uh, Jonathan Savetta who works with us at The Score in the yeah. NBA content department had a great quote to you. He said, oh, that's good to hear uh, Ben Simmons is still keeping in contact. That was a great, great tweet, Savetta.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Why Why didn't that make it into our trash talk se- segment? That's, yeah, you know uh, what? We're putting Savetta in the trash talk segment next week. I really wish that, uh, that Doc would name names. I, I want to know who he's yeah. been getting calls from. But that was... uh, Paul Pierce. (laughs) I I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, Kendrick Perkins, almost certainly. Um, Yeah, for real. Hopefully,
0: uh, if Paul Pierce plays, his friends from uh, Turkey's are there. Uh,
1: (laughs) I I honestly think... So, like, again, silver linings in all this. Like, it's a bad situation right now for any number of reasons. Like, you worry about the health and safety of the players. Like, you wonder... Certainly, you wonder if fans should be in the arenas at this point. But, um... You know, we talked about this on our last episode. There's an argument for pausing the season. There's also an argument that pausing the season wouldn't necessarily do much to curb the spread of this virus and this (laughs) extremely infectious variant. But silver lining, I guess, is I feel like it could be like interesting and kind of fun to just see which players crawl out of the woodwork and make (laughs) their way onto an NBA floor in the next couple of weeks. Maybe not even
0: talking about like some old-timer coming back, but maybe someone who flamed out of the NBA early or someone who never really got their chance gets a chance because of this and ends up turning this into an NBA career or a contract. And, you know, that would be a silver lining out of obviously a very dark time. All right. Last game, we haven't spoken about Mavs, Jazz, end of the night. It's in Utah. We don't even know if Donch is going to be back. Porzingis is out now. Utah's a buzzsaw. Anything, anything worth watching there other than can the Jazz beat the Grizzlies two-week-old record for
1: margin of victory in an NBA game? Uh, I, I don't think it'll be that one-sided, but I will say something worth watching. I mean, the Jazz are worth watching in general. I know some people might find them boring or just wake me up when the playoffs happen, but what this team is doing in the regular season is still worth noting to me, especially because uh, their, their offense— is number one, by such a wide margin, it's ridiculous. Like, they are by far the best offensive team in the league. And if you look at their offensive rating relative to league average, it's actually taken quite a dip over the last few games. But even still, uh, relative to league average, they are tied with the 2015-16 Warriors as the third best offense in NBA history. So... If you want to watch some offensive fireworks, at least on one side of the floor, then tune into the late game and watch Jazz Mavs.
0: Yeah, I fully support that. You had that great tweet earlier the, no, last week about where they rank in, in in relation to league average offensively and where that ranks all time. And then, you know, the note as well about how two of the top four when it comes to offenses in relation to league average or steve nash led teams
1: well and now the top two because uh, uh, the o three o four mavs and the o four o five suns are one and two and uh and nash teams account for four of the top seven in terms amazing. of relative offensive rating
0: the thing i love about those two teams like that mavs team and the suns team being one two is it's literally like when you look at compared to league average, he he ran the two best offenses of all time, but he didn't do it like, okay, there's this team and they've been building for a while. It's like, he's, he's just running this te- He did it like back-to-back seasons with two different teams. Like, okay, I'm just going to go there now and they'll be the best offense
1: ever. Literally ever. Yeah. Oh man. Steve
0: Nash, please play on Christmas Day. All right.
1: <laughs> but yeah, that's that's really the only reason to tune into Jazz Mavs because I don't think there'll be much intrigue unless somehow Luca makes it back, which I guess... Yeah. I don't really know what his timeline is, but barring that, I don't think there will be much intrigue in terms of uh, the final result.
0: No one has sold a Christmas Day slate like we have at Pound the Rock.
1: (laughs) You got a fan shout out for us or what?
0: I do have a fan shout out for us. Final pre-holiday shout out. Jacob Richards goes by at JacobDRichards4 on Twitter. I noticed a few weeks ago he had interacted with our guy S who works the score uh, on our YouTube side and content creation. And he was interacting about how, quote unquote, Pound the Rock is so damn good. So I reached out to Jacob via DMs because I wanted to shout him out and uh, found out Jacob is from Charlottetown, PEI, Prince Edward Island, Canada, and has been listening for about a year now. Says he appreciates everything we do. As I always say, no, Jacob, we appreciate you for listening, for supporting the show, for supporting our work. So shout out, Jacob. Shout out all of our listeners. And the usual reminder... If you're a listener of Pound the Rock, whether this is your first time ever listening and you made it this far into the show, or it's your 213th time listening, let us know where you listen from, what you like about the show, how long you've been a listener, and we will get you a shout out on a future episode. Until one of those future episodes, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, whatever you celebrate or don't celebrate, just try to enjoy some time over the festive season in what has been another tough year here on Earth. (laughs) And we will be back next week for our final episode of 2021. Until then, for Joe Wolf on, I'm Joseph Cuchero, Pound the Rock.